the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. Uh, so, yeah, how do you feel about that? You okay I, with the title? I guess. Well, sure. you're wearing the priestly collar today, so I thought it would be uh, I'm not wear- be significant. wearing the hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> ah, tomato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com, plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. And the more and more that I read about this, liking and subscribing not only helps us, but it actually adjusts the algorithm so yep. that more and more people can see our show. It's sort of a common name. So mm. when you like and review, that actually uh, helps uh, more see, eyeballs. It see wasn't it. just me begging. It well, wasn't it, just it me was begging. also you begging a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it can be a both and situation. Uh, good think, point. Uh, well, I think uh, if you were online at all this weekend, uh, you probably heard of the tragic, heartbreaking loss of Rachel Held Evans. Mm-hmm. And uh, before anyone gets up in arms and wants to argue theology, that's not what we're doing right now. Um, a tragedy uh, of now a single father with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, uh, a woman, 37, who went to the hospital with flu-like symptoms and had a, an allergic reaction to the medication and was placed in a, a medically-induced coma and her brain kept seizing yep. and tragically uh, she passed and it I, I'll be really honest it has been that's felt like a pit in my stomach uh, this whole weekend and social media sometimes sometimes you know it brings out the worst in people right and and that's still some that I mean it's still happening a little bit but there's now a, a hashtag trending of just people sharing stories yeah. of like what her life and work and writing and ministry and posture and heart had meant to to so many people, and you you were actually kind of talking uh, offline a little bit here that you, you spent a good deal of Saturday just just reading through them. And what was the well, yeah? What was that experience like for you? It was just odd because, like you say, we've all been following the story. You and I talked about it a couple of times last week, and uh, you know sometimes you can think of these people as caricatures, right? Like right. the authors or the speakers or the other the proficient bloggers or Twitter handles. And you you do lose sight of the fact that this is a 37-year-old woman who right. uh, had a 3-year-old and a 1-year-old and a husband that she loved and uh, and was just kind of coming into her own professionally too, right? And just has such a big voice. And so the this is uh, the tragedy of it was so heavy for me just reading about it because like you said, the suddenness of it. Like her last tweet, she's joking about, oh, I got to go to the hospital. I'm going to miss Game of Thrones. Right. And then, uh, she goes into a you know a, co- a medically induced coma and never comes out of it, and yeah, they they gosh. tried to take her out of it and she couldn't and and then to see the outpouring 
of grief that people had and shock that people had um, was it was just weird to watch it play out in real time. Yeah, I think that was also something that I felt like mm. you almost felt guilty, like you were like watching, like you think right? you know this person because you've read their tweets and read their writings and read this and that. But then you become quickly aware, like, oh, no, there's actually people grieving their friend yes, right now. Right. And they're they're tweeting about it. And it almost felt like voyeuristic in some ways. And then, like you said, it moved again to the point of the hashtag going, like, what effect did she have in our lives? Right. And you begin to realize that whatever you thought about her theologically, there are a lot of things she wrote that I would stand up and say amen for. Such a gifted writer. And a lot of things she wrote that I was always like, eh, I don't think I agree with that. But but sometimes we in Christianity can pit like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative Christian against a progressive Christian. And you forget that, like, we're still under the same umbrella. Mm. Like, we're still, you always like to use the phrase Team Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. And to be reminded of that and to read all of these uh profound ways that she had an impact on people yeah uh even if you didn't agree with her theology was still overwhelming because you would see people writing like hey she was always the first to email me if i was going through something being like i'm for you yeah all the way down to other people who were like i never met her but her books completely transformed me and so in some ways it's heartbreaking that is the overall feeling because nobody who's 37 should really uh, die this way. Yeah. And I know it happens. I know I, I get it, but you do hope that like, like I think about my own life and, and I, I hope that after hopefully a lot more years than I currently have lived, hmm. that just some of this same stuff can be said about me. Like it does cause you to look inward and go, man, are people going to talk about me as having this sort of profound impact on their life? And and so I, I felt all sorts of stuff. I've obviously never met this woman. I've read her stuff. Um, but, you know, well done on at least having a profound impact and causing a lot of conversation to happen in the Christian world that has needed to happen in the last five years, 10 years or whatever. And we'll go on. Yeah, I, I had the same the same reaction. And some of the, the sentiments that kept kind of kept bubbling to the top was uh, her giving people permission to be angry. Uh, to have doubt, yep. to to press in, to to duke it out a little bit. It's, you know, oftentimes things that in the Christian tradition, I think we've struggled to do well. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only that, but I I saw a number of people say she gave me my my first spot. Like, yeah. you know, they she she uh, posted a blog of mine, or she brought me along for a teaching. Like she was always leveraging her influence uh, to bring others with her. And to me, that that is such a such a Christ like sentiment. Yeah. It's not. It wasn't as best I can tell about her glory and her fame. It was always like, Hey, let's, yeah. let's come along together. And I, I was really convicted because I was, I was really blown away by how many people. Uh, and a lot of them were people that I, I know and respect and follow mm-hmm. were saying things like she was the first person to whisper permission to, to push back on some of this or ask questions or to doubt um, things that we've talked about on the show about yep. uh, God's not afraid of your anger. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid of your grief. In fact, uh, he invites it. And for her, I think in a lot of ways, quite literally, um, a prophetic voice, a prophetic yeah. imagination to say, hey, uh, it's it's okay to wrestle. It's okay for your journey to take dips and dives. Uh, again, sentiments I feel like we've shared on this on this show. Yes. And I think it, it makes me sad to see 
And there was certainly in the minority of the, the people that were kind of just trolling these threads. Yeah, there's always those. But the vast majority of people who who uh, who were being really honest about their grief, yep. which is something that I think she'd spoken to a lot, but then also like just the rearticulation. I felt like it was this, it was an online community in the best sense. Yeah. People that had never met each other sharing this hashtag, grieving across the world saying, oh man, she... She opened up this space for dialogue that I didn't know could even exist mm. uh, in the church and in Christianity. And um, yeah, wh- whether or not anyone ever tweets about us when we go, man, I, right. I, want, I want my life to be about more of that than maybe it has been. Yeah. And what's fascinating, one more thing about after she passed. And again, I think it just wakes everybody up. Like it's such a shocking passing. And if you don't know who we're talking about, just go Google it. You're going to read countless numbers of articles that have been written and all sorts of stuff. But it was even to see people that she went at with the most come back and be like, that's right. She always, she always debated with me respectfully. Uh, she was always this. And, and just to even see people on the other end of this theological spectrum being like, she was a good person. Yeah. Right. And like, we might've disagreed, but we were on the same team was like really also humbling to read. And so first and foremost, please pray for the family. Like we said, it is a, it is a grieving husband with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, which, and there's a GoFundMe too. If is you want to, if you okay. want to give support for now, this mountain of medical needs and all that too, that's all available. Yeah. Be praying, but then also allow it to, to cause you. Like I think happens every time you go to Shigo, every time you go to a funeral, every time you read an article like this, Allow it to make you a little bit, um, to, to look inward a little bit yeah. and just be like, hey, life is a mist. What am I living for? And have those thoughts as well. Yeah, I'll just, I just wanted to close with this because, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's been like a knot in my stomach all weekend. And I've certainly gone through my own grief. And the very last blog that she ever posted. Last one. Was on Ash Wednesday. Yes. And um, I'm, I'm just going to read how she how she ends this blog, her very last blog. Uh, on Ash Wednesday, she says, uh, it strikes me today that the liturgy of Ash Wednesday teaches something that nearly everyone can agree on, whether you are a part of a church or not, whether you believe today or you're, or you doubt whether you are a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or a so-called nun whose faith experiences far transcend the limits of that label. You know this truth deep in your bones. Remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. Death is a part of life. My prayer for you this season is that you make time to celebrate that reality and to grieve that reality, and that you will know that you are not alone. Mm. So, so beautifully said and so timely, and uh, something that I think I'm going to come back to you for a long time after mm-hmm. this. We've well, been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and we've uh, been talking a bit about this tragic loss of Rachel Held Evans and just Brian and I's response and what we've been seeing on social media. And uh, Mandy Smith actually wrote this brilliant article for Missio Alliance called Grieving for Rachel as Rachel Would Grieve. And uh, we actually have her on the phone right now. Mandy, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Thanks so much. Let me just tell you all a little bit about who she is before we dive in. Uh, Originally from Australia, Mandy's the lead pastor of University Christian Church, a campus and neighborhood congregation with its own fair trade cafe in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've actually played music in this cafe. (laughs) She's a regular contributor to Christianity Today publications and the author of Making a Mess and Meeting God. Her latest book is The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations uh, Empower Our Ministry. Mandy and her husband, Jamie, a New Testament professor at Cincinnati Christian University, live with their family in a little house where uh, where the teapot is always warm, which I love. And this this article that you wrote uh, for this Writers Collective, I think just gave so much language to what I personally was feeling. 
uh, in light of this awful tragedy. And I'm just curious. I want to kind of get into your head a little bit. Like, why did you write this? What was going on when you wrote it? And um, what, what can we learn from what you shared here? Yeah, I think my first thought, obviously, after just being so astounded by the news and thinking about her family, was to think about the young people in my own congregation, because I am a pastor of a university congregation. All the statistics about millennials and nuns and duns that we're always reading, I see very personally every single day. And so my first thought after thinking about her family was just to think, well, how's it going to affect all the people who... Uh, read her stuff and follow her because they're in a really tender place in their own faith. And Mm. she has been such a wonderful voice to just help us navigate some of the, just this moment of what it means Mm. to be in the American church. And so my heart went to them because they're already kind of in a tender place. And I know it will be really tempting for them to say, well, how could a good God allow this to happen to someone who was doing such good work? Yeah. And honestly, I was also a little bit concerned about how uh, church leaders might even respond in a way that just perpetuates the hurt. You yeah. know, that, that that's often what she has responded to, is when the church has easy answers for things and, and wants to kind of skip over the grieving and the mess. And that's exactly what people grieving right now really don't need to see from the church. So I had that kind of pastoral approach feel for the people who read her and also um, as a leader of of a church myself, just thinking, well, how is how is church leaders are we going to respond in a in an appropriate way? Yeah, so good. It, as we read your article, there are so many lines that just jumped out to me. But let me read back uh, one or two of them, and love to just kind of hear your heart behind what you wrote here. You wrote, Rachel Held Evans captured hurting hearts because she understood the very human reality of struggle and the emotional side of doubt. As much as a doubter will argue facts with you, most often they just need a hug. Uh, that I think that is brilliant. Can you talk about how you've seen that in your own congregation? As you said, uh, you are often dealing with a lot of young people wrestling with doubt and life. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's really easy when you're really hurting to kind of come out fighting, you know, and uh, it's tempting as a pastor when someone does that to kind of jump in the ring as well, you know, and to kind of come back with, easy comebacks or mm. arguments or defense. And, you know, if, if a young person, especially who's hurting from their experience with the church, um, wants to wants to say some really hard things in your direction, um, it's tempting to just defend the church or defend yourself and to not really hear what is going on under the surface and not really respond to just their broken heart and so, um, I, yeah, I see that so often, and um, in so many ways I have to overcome as a pastor my own desire to just defend myself while I, when I feel under attack or to defend the church or the Bible or whatever That's it right. is that people are kind of throwing those attacks at and and to just kind of listen to the, the pain underneath it and try to respond to that instead. But it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, and you, so you said it beautifully in this article. You said when the prodigal son returned to his father, I'm sure there are many things the father wanted to talk about, but that could wait until after dessert. First, he set aside his pride. He drew up his cloak and ran with abandon to bring home his son, still reeking of pigs. Like, I'm I'm so captivated by that picture of exactly what you're saying here. What What are some ways in light of this, um, that we can model that? Because as, as you said, there's all sorts of theological perspectives and spectrums and 
Um, as we were talking last segment, the vast majority of people, I think, are are grieving in a really healthy way. But there's always trolls and there's always people coming at saying, I don't oh, I didn't no. agree with her conclusion here. And I didn't I think in this uh, page 17 of her third book, this was wrong. And <laughs> like, how do we how do we right. like drop our cloaks together and like give space to grieve and also for doubt and for anger and to to come out the other side like better and healthier. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to a lot of what we hear at the moment about the, just the tone of conversation in general, that it still retains that uh, wanting to just talk about ideas, whether it's in person or online. And Mm -hmm. really most of the things that I am tempted to put online or, you know, put on social media are really from a place of pain. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the most inappropriate things to put on social media are usually so because they're wanting to just attack similar to what we just said, actually, um, when really, if we're honest, we would just be saying, like, I'm really feeling alone because I feel like other people don't understand me or don't see as I see. Mm. And so, um, I don't know, I just long for us to get beyond. There are definitely important issues to talk about and definitely ways that we need to grow in our understanding. And I don't want to create a false dichotomy between our thinking and our feeling and Mm. all the different parts of us. But um, I think in a world that... Oh, in a culture really like ours, which values power and strength, um, we think that rational ways are much more strong, and so we want to just engage on that level. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're feeling broken, um, it's much harder to to let our hearts be seen because that could be a place that someone can abuse. But at the same time, I've I've found that um, it is riskier to mm-hmm. to meet someone in that place and to let yourself be seen in that place. But also, I think that's where real connection happens, which is what we're ultimately longing for. You that's know? right. And our arguments just keep us to kind of keep the guard up from actually letting our hearts be seen. So it's, I think, the opposite of the gospel, mm. to be honest with you, you know. Uh, you, you do say, you talk about listening instead of getting defensive. And we've talked a lot on this show about how bad our culture is <laughs> at listening. Um, maybe... Uh, give one or two ways that you um, listening is actually a discipline, right? So how do you grow as a good listener uh, personally as a pastor? How do you set aside time and how do you grow in that? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, this is where one of the places that really teaches me my need for the gospel, because Mm. um, when I feel, especially when I feel under attack and someone is wounding me out of their own woundedness, then I um, feel in in my right to just go back on the attack, which just perpetuates the wounding, you know, perpetuates the violence, really. And so I often have this image in my mind of, you know, me feeling like a little mouse, feeling under attack by this huge dragon and me trying to just, this little mouse trying to like puff itself up to pretend (laughs) to be a dragon, but not really not really carrying it off, you know, but it feels justified to just come back at a dragon by pretending to be a dragon too. And um, then the little mouse just kind of like looking over at the dragon and seeing there's a little door and kind of walking over and knocking on the door and looking inside. And it's actually not a dragon. It's a dragon suit. And there's a little mouse inside the dragon <laughs> suit. You know? And, um, and it, but the, but the work that it takes to stop feeling like you want to be a dragon back to the dragon to say, I want to see the little mouse inside the dragon suit. Like that actually is excruciating yeah. because you feel so justified in, in fighting back. 
Mm. Um, but honestly, that just perpetuates the hierarchies. And instead of saying, let's do away with the hierarchy, it just says, now I want to be top dog on the hierarchy. Um, and mm. so that's where I find, you know, the times when I've felt most under attack from someone else's woundedness um, are the times when I most need Jesus, who says, set aside your rights, not because you're worthless, not because you're meaningless, not because you're a woman or whatever, all the reasons right. why it feels wrong to set aside my rights. You know, let the anger and the pain die in me, just as I had to let my anger and pain die so that you know, God himself had to let his pain die so that he didn't come back to us like a dragon, even though he had every right to. Right. Hmm. And so um, something just, yeah, he let that die in him, which which I, I think it feels like it's going to kill us when we let our rights die in us. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where we need Jesus to even say, well, if he could do it, I could do it. Wow. And so um, beyond just like the, obviously there are skills involved in listening, but um, the, that's the real work that it takes for me to, to need Jesus to even absorb the pain of my own rights and my own fear and anger and pain in order to really see someone else as he sees them. Um, and that those are the moments actually, even in even though I've been a Christian my whole life, it's been in those moments, even just in recent years, that um, that I've really had to re- learn what the gospel is and come to see its true power. That's so good. I I hope Cincinnati knows what a gift, what a gift they have in you. I, I'm I'm really grateful for that. Truly, I actually want to end with this. I'm going to end with the last paragraph of your blog. Yeah, you wrote, even as we grieve the sudden, seemingly cruel death of a gifted voice for Jesus, a friend to many who needed a friend, will we take the risk to engage with abandon with head and heart engaged? In so doing, we may find our own whole selves saved. And as we get used to the discomfort of messy emotion, we may, may, may we make space among us again for the brokenhearted. Mm. Mandy Smith, thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to be with us today. I really appreciate your mm, wisdom. Thank you. Take care. You as well. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And we've uh, we've been talking a lot uh, about Rachel Rachel Held Evans specifically. uh, Tragic loss at 37 uh, leaves... Uh, a husband and two little kids. And uh, we were just talking with Mandy Smith, who wrote this brilliant article about how to grieve well, uh, how to grieve maybe the way that Rachel would have us grieve. But the other thing, though, that I've been seeing a lot on social media and I imagine is on the hearts and heads of uh, people who are really shaken up by this uh, is a question that, as pastors, I think we probably hear a lot is, why didn't God answer our prayers? Mm. Especially when it's someone with such a huge audience, yep. such a huge reach, like so, so many people, it's becoming more and more clear, actually really loved her, really cared about her and her work. And so many people were praying, God, p- please just heal her. Please, mm-hmm. please make this better. And then she passes. So what do we do with that? What do we do in the pit of sadness and sorrow and despair when when it feels like, man, if ever there was a time, all these people were rallying around yep. her. She was a, a young mother, like, you know, it checks the boxes of, quote unquote, God God should have come through on this one, mm-hmm. which is how I imagine a lot of people are feeling. Um, or w- even that God could have showed off in this one. Yeah, like right. Imagine like, imagine the glory totally. he would have received and 
you know, the books that could have been written, it, it would have been crazy. So, so why, what do you do as a pastor in situations like this where people ask, why, why didn't God heal this person? I, yep. I prayed with all my might and it seems like he still didn't come through. What do you do with that? How do you navigate those waters? Yeah. And, and this is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Like, uh, because I think the first thing that becomes important to realize is that, you know, often people are asking this question when a loved one has died or something like this, and it's coming from a place of pain so that you want to be able to speak to people's heart, not just their head and be like, well, theologically, let me take you to, uh, and if that becomes difficult, you need to remember just as I almost said pastorally, but just as a human, you need to meet people's pain with compassion mm. And not with just facts. And and Mandy Smith spoke to a little bit about that last segment, right? She talked about, yeah. um, you know, not just speaking to people's heads and allowing people to have doubt and to be, you know, sometimes people just need a hug like that. I thought that was great. And uh, and so first off, you want to uh, not just try to provide answers, but you want to com- provide compassion and a shoulder to cry on. Uh, and then after that. Um, you know, for me, what becomes helpful, there, there's no 100% easy answer to this question. Where it's like, oh, here you go. Here's the package deal, and you, all your questions will be answered. For me, it becomes helpful in these situations to be able to point to the reality of eternity <laughs> and to be able to point to uh, the good news of the resurrection and that while we wanted this to, whatever this is in your life, yeah. while we wanted this to be answered now, uh, it doesn't mean that ultimately death wins going forward or for eternity. And so I think this becomes an important point, an important time to be able to tell people, to be able to compassionately um, comfort people with the fact that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and to be, and that yes, while this is painful now and um, the, the effects of the brokenness of this world uh, are terrible now, um, we can still look forward to a day when these things aren't a reality where the book of revelation says there will be no more death. There will be no more tears. Uh, and that while that doesn't make this moment of grief better, uh, it hopefully provides a perspective that, that doesn't allow it to be so overwhelming. Yeah. I, I think uh, where I end up landing most of the time, especially if it's like a face to face situation, someone says, why, why would God let this happen? Uh, I first say, I don't know. And that yep. was so life-giving when other leaders in my life early, early as an adult gave me permission to say that, Yeah, um, to say, I don't, I don't know why God would allow this. I don't know why God wouldn't intervene. Yep. Um, but what I do know is it can't be because he doesn't love us Yep. because look at the cross. Mm-hmm. So like when, when I am faced with circumstances that honestly in my pride, often I want to come up with theological answers and I've read you know, great works of philosophy and theology to try and wrap my head around it. And like Tim Keller's walking with God through pain yep. and suffering is so good. So good. And yet still at times you walk away saying, Oh, I still don't have answers to this thing right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Why, why is Rachel Held Evans not with us to, you know, continue writing and processing and dreaming and whatever. And, um, the permission just to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I know that it can't be because God doesn't love us. Um, like you said, doesn't, it doesn't make the pain go away at all. Yep. It actually invites us, I think, leaning more deeply into it because it's when we actually allow ourselves to be changed by pain and grief and suffering that I think that we're we're actually it's carving out space in our hearts to be more fully human, yep. be more who God made us to be. And when we like I don't think we do 
suffering very well in the West, and I certainly don't think we do death well either. Yeah. And I, I've learned that by like seeing the way other cultures deal with death, and it's it's so interesting to see how very different um, different cultures interact with this. And yeah. For us, a lot of times it's you know we try to we want to dress them up and we want to make them look as alive as possible because we don't know what to do with that yep. but like in a hindu tradition they audibly just wail and scream for the first 48 hours after a person passes as just this visceral out loud reminder that grief and pain is real and i think what very different responses absolutely to a very similar reality and and i don't know man i i think when i when i read the Psalms and I read Job and I read Jeremiah and Lamentations, the Bible is filled with mm. declarations of, did you, did you forget about us, God? Like, why have, why has this happened or why yes. have you not responded yet? And there is, there is, I think a lot of help to know that even in this pain and grief, it's, do, it's doing something in us, yeah. you know, the eternal weight of glory. And Paul talks about future glory that suffering produces. Um, but I also know that in the midst, sometimes you just got to sit Shiva and just grieve mm. with one another and part of what I think we're seeing with with Rachel Held Evans is how it's actually creating this this space for grief, where people are realizing that they're not alone in their grief, and that good can most certainly come from this. Yeah. But that doesn't diminish the fact that it still is really painful. That yeah. Our hearts are still broken, and that even after a wound heals, the scar is still tender, and it probably always will be. Yeah, I think you make a great point to say that oftentimes we as Christians, or American Christians at least, do not— we we like to do away with suffering very quickly. So uh, don't be sad for long. Don't suffer for long. And, and I think these are important reminders. You know, suffering is a very present part of the Bible. <laughs> like it's yeah. nowhere we promise that it's not going to be there. We promise God's presence. Uh, and I remember, you remember we had Greg Surratt on and they were seeing like kind of at Seacoast out in I think South Carolina, they're seeing some like some crazy like healing stuff going uh-huh. on. And I thought yeah. one of the most powerful things he wrote and told us when we interviewed him was, uh, everybody is being healed. Some people are being healed miraculously. Some people are being healed through doctors. Yeah. And some people are being healed by being removed from this world mm. and being in God's. And I remember thinking of that going, well, I wouldn't have normally called that healing. Yeah, right. Like That's powerful. And of course, nobody wants to choose that one for their loved one. But I thought that was a cool perspective shift. And one more thing I would say is that, in times like when, when people ask these sorts of questions, it can become easy to throw your hands up and go, well, prayer doesn't work. And one thing mm-hmm. I like to tell people is like, I can't explain all the mechanisms of prayer, but I do have enough. Uh, there's enough in the Bible that tells us to pray yeah, and that God works through the prayers of his people that can I explain it all to you? Nope. Yeah. I can't. I just know that I'm, I'm invited to pray. And so I'm going to pray. Uh, and I'm going to cry out to God, and um, and that's that much I know that I'm invited to do. Can I manipulate all the answers as I want them? Do sure. I can I understand all of God's ways? I can't, uh, but I'm still invited to pray. Yeah. And I think you make a good point that we're still invited to mourn. Like this yeah. world's got a lot of struggle to it, a lot of brokenness, the effects of sin, a lot of hurt, and we need to allow that to be true. Yeah, and mourning and prayer can coexist. They're Absolutely. not. They're not even necessarily two different functions. Yep. I think we often you know, think of prayer as just this friendly conversation, but sometimes it is, it is crying out. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes prayer has more to do with my heart being changed in the process than something else outside mm. of me, you know, convincing God to do something in the world. Yeah. I think when I, you know, at, when I really am honest about 
like being on my hands and knees before God for something or mm-hmm. someone, um, you'll be hard pressed to not be changed by that process. And I think I think that's why the invitation is so consistent because the people of God change when we're a people of prayer. Mm. And uh, I think that that's just as miraculous as anything. Um, but you're right. It still means that there is absolutely space for grief and doubt and anger and sorrow and, and everything in between. And God's not afraid of any of that. And so we press on yeah. and we continue to lean in uh, to prayer, even even when our doubt and sorrow is at an all-time high. Yes. God invites us. I mean, his word says, and God God would rather we scream at him than walk away from him. Mm. And I think that that posture of even even in our sorrow, to just keep coming back, yep. I think is such a good invitation. And confident that he says he is near to the brokenhearted. Yep, that's right. And that is, a, that is good news, even in the midst of our suffering. That's right. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us at Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com. And we've not, we've not been really consistent with this segment idea. Nope. But oftentimes on Mondays, uh, pastors feel Mondays in a maybe a different way than like a normal person because yep. I don't think what we do is normal at all. Um, some people have called it the holy hangover. I don't know that that's totally the right. There's just phrasing. a tiredness yeah. to Monday. It's, yeah, right. It's but it's also sometimes really energizing. Like like yesterday was such a blast uh, at Community Christian Church. So like I woke up Monday. I'm like, yeah, let's get after it. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. funny because sometimes you want to like collapse on Monday, and other yeah. days you're like, all right, let's let's do it. But sometimes what we've talked about is. Oh, what'd you preach on? Because we spent all this time yep. preparing for the weekend. And uh, sometimes it's sort of like, I don't know if you're this way. Once Monday hits, it's like, okay, next weekend. And I, I spent sure. very little time reflecting on, oh, what do we what do we talk about? Like, what was what was the gathering yeah. like? And I'm curious what it was like at uh, at Four Corners Community Church. It was it was wonderful. And I, I, what you say is true. Like, uh, Monday, sometimes you wake up, like, energized about your church, but still tired from the right. day before. And, uh, and other times, you know, they always, there, there's an old running joke that you should never resign from your pastor job, pastor job on a Monday. Yes, right. <laughs> because right. <laughs> it's always when you're like, what are we doing? I um, heard someone once say that Monday, Monday is the day every pastor writes his resignation letter and prays for the courage to throw it away. <laughs> so true. It's just not that dramatic for and me. And you might but... be out there going like, how is that the case? Like, I don't, can't even explain it. But on Monday that it does, it's like a. There's a unique sense of the Mondays, if you will, when yeah. it comes to pastors that you can it's pray true. for your pastor out there on Monday. It's, there's just something weird about it. It's why a lot of pastors take Monday off. And do, you, do you listen to yourself back on Sundays or Mondays? Do you play back the never. sermon? Never. I think this is where you and I are different. Oh, I can't tell man. you the last sermon of mine I've re-listened to. So. Gosh. I do think you do I yours? Have, I think every single sermon I've ever preached ever. Really? And I'll take notes, and I'll pick it apart, and I, I have a, a Word doc with two columns of words I say too much and words I'd like to say instead. and Fascinating. So are you listening more for, uh, like, style? Like, this is, I want to hear what my delivery is like? Or are you going back to hear, did I actually make that? What are you, what are you listening for? It. It's it's yeah. all of it. Which, you know, for the first 10 years of preaching, it was it was just an audio file. Now now it's video. So I have, oh, like you guys a, have video, yeah. Another thing to freak out about. Like, wow, you do a weird thing with your hands when you get nervous. So yeah, a lot of it's delivery stuff, but it is also like, hey, were you um, were you faithful to the text here? Were you, mm-hmm. Did you have moments of like just pastoral leaning in and not just delivering a talk? You know, like I'm picking apart all of that. That's stuff. probably really healthy because for eh, me, every week though, that's I think the I think the true answer is probably between the two of us because I honestly can't tell you the last time I've listened back 
than anything See, that's I've crazy preached. to me. That's and crazy. so I think the right answer is probably in the middle because for me, I tend to be like, because you and I both preach often. Yeah. So it's like, all right, it's exactly what you said before. On to the next one. Yeah, yeah, Like right. just prepping. Uh, for you, you're probably doing too much picking apart. And for me, I'm not doing enough autopsy mm. of the one we just did. See, and, and I, need to yeah. be doing some value. I'm guessing the right answer is in the middle somewhere Maybe. there. I'm just, I'm so hungry to keep getting better. Yeah. And, uh, but you're right. Sometimes it can, it can be a downward spiral of like, I don't even know why you bother preaching anymore. You yep. like, you, you listen to it back and with enough of a critical eye, <laughs> you can really start to like, I shouldn't have a microphone ever again. You I know? think it goes to us as radio guys too, because mm. from what I'm understanding, you do a lot more <laughs> listening to our podcast podcasts and listening back yep and i don't it's really interesting uh man <laughs> we sometimes we get we don't intend to stumble upon like self uh self-reflection <laughs> but it, it just comes it just comes uh, so interestingly i didn't preach yesterday uh i had okay. a buddy of mine come in a guy by the name of scott murray and he came in and and killed it nice. did a great job uh, we are in the middle of a series on Jesus's seven I am statements in the book of John, hmm. uh, kind of coming off of Easter going, all right, so who is this Jesus? Yep. Uh, one great way we can figure out who Jesus is but by saying, how did Jesus describe himself? And so some of you may not know this out there, the book of John, there's seven I am statements that become this thread through the book that in many ways are great descriptive pr- pictures of mm-hmm. Jesus saying, this is who I am. And they're oftentimes tied back to just Old Testament stuff. And so it becomes a fun series to kind of unpack these. And he did, yesterday he did, I'm the good shepherd, mm. uh, and did a, did a great job of just saying, uh, do you guys know how dumb sheep are? <laughs> and like, <laughs> this, is a, this is the kind of thing a guest preacher could say. <laughs> exactly. And so he, he unpacked, like, this is what a sheep is. And this is the way the shepherd literally uh, was the reason that a sheep could keep living. They're on their back. And if he, if the shepherd doesn't come move them, they're just going to flail there and <laughs> all this different stuff. And, uh, but then kind of unpack the role of the shepherd mm. and um, how Jesus plays that role in, in our lives. And then going back to Psalm 23 and just reading, you know, the Lord is my shepherd and just all that it tells us there. And you leave that kind of imagery going, oh, my goodness, like the care that and the um, and then even also that that a sheep recognizes the call of their shepherds. Right. But not of another shepherd is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we get really good as Christians who know the Bible just going, oh, yeah, he's the great shepherd. I am the sheep. Right. Without going, no, 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 understand what that means uh-huh. and the depth of that. And so sometimes I just, I'm sure you do. You just love to listen to somebody else totally. take the text and open it up and just be fed. And you're like, oh, I am just kind of that stinky, dumb sheep. <laughs> but that just opens the mind of who he is. It was, it was really, up, it was really encouraging. I left there going, okay, that's awesome. I am loved more than I realized when I came in today. That's awesome. And I know you preached yesterday. So. I did. Yeah. We're in the middle of a, a series about relationships and mm-hmm. uh, call it relationship goals. Last week was connection goals. When we were talking about vulnerability and this week we were talking about conflict goals. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because for most people, they're like, I don't have conflict goals. The goal <laughs> is to not have it. Like, yes. what we don't talk about is that conflict, when done well, is actually how we grow. It's that iron sharpens iron. That's not a cuddly verse. That's nope. iron smashing into iron for the purpose that you're going with the grain, not against it. With yes. The, with the goal of making it sharper, right? And one, mm-hmm. of the, one of the analogies that we gave is I, I actually had a piano. Our tech team was amazing. I actually had my little keyboard, my childhood keyboard on stage, and I played a C scale. But I stopped at the second to last note, which is the the seventh, and it's it's called a leading tone, and it's this tension, this discord, and everyone in the room is like, 
Ah, One more. <laughs> and that's in music. That's actually it's called a leading tone because okay. it, le- it leads us somewhere. Conflict huh. and discord. We're not supposed to just stay in it, but it is actually supposed to lead us somewhere. And so I threw up a, a, a quadrant on the screen, and we got kind of geeky for a little bit. We talked about some of our different tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like the bully is all about conflict, but his struggle is conflict with with care, right? It's confrontation with care. And uh, we talked about how there's so many wrong ways to be right. Yeah. Like you can be right, but go about it in such a terrible way that it, it can actually really do harm to the body. And we talk about Paul saying, speak the truth in love. That in love piece is just as important as the truth piece. So we yeah. often leave that off. And so it, it was, it was, it was really fun because when you, when you, <laughs> you can see the looks on people's faces when you say, Hey, today we're going to, we're going to talk about conflict. And yes, I've already locked the doors in the back. You, can't, you know what I mean? Like, there's, nowhere, <laughs> yeah. there's nowhere you can go. Like even that was a testament to how uncomfortable we can be with having this conversation at all, but how important it is. Like when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, mm. not the peacekeepers, the ones that like never rock the boat and they don't want to make anyone mad ever, yeah. but the peacemakers, like when Jesus calls something blessed, I think we should pay attention to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so it, it was, uh, it was a really like, practical talk but i mm. felt like where we landed was the reason we're able to do this is because we have gospel thickened skin which means we don't have to be so easily offended it means we can lean mm. in and be patient with one another and give benefit of the doubt because i see the imago day in you i can look in the eyes of even someone that drives me crazy yeah. and see the one that i love and because that's a reality for all of us we can do conflict well come with a scalpel not a hatchet right they both mm. cut but only one cuts to heal and to to do that with our social media, with our spouses, with our small groups, with our neighborhood. I don't know. It felt like it felt like a really cool. That's good. Like, all right, let's let's go show the world what what a a peaceful community, yes, not uniformity, but unity, can really look like in a world of of discord and chaos. Man, that's good. Yeah, and I know fun. when I don't get to preach like yesterday, I really love it, and then I love being able to get back the next week. I'm I'm the same way. So I'm excited to preach this week. We're in our I am state. You know, it can be I am the light of the world. You know? Right on. Tee it up for good news. That's so, awesome. Are you man. preaching this week? I am. I'm going to be preaching at uh, one of our campuses downtown. Oh, I how love, fun! I love when I get the guest teach down there because uh, it's just. A it's a whole different space and vibe. Yep. It's a really, really great community down there. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about how that goes, man. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're right. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Fun fact, too, we also post all of the uh, articles that we're talking about throughout the day. So that's a great way to interact with some of the topics. But you can also suggest other ones or something, you know, in the news or in your life or in theology or the church. Uh, We really, really would love to hear from you. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted literally wherever you get podcasts. And if you like 
review and subscribe. That actually helps generate an algorithm that helps more eyes see it, which in turn helps us, which helps mm-hmm. us help you. Just a cycle of help. We want to help. Let we, help us help you. <laughs> let me help you. Uh, so this just feels like a heavy Monday, but um, we 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 had another passing this weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, Warren Worsby, who was uh, 82 years old, uh, a pastor, a writer, a conference speaker. I mean, he his his uh, legacy yes. is enormous, and. Um, and I don't know. Did you uh, did you study Worsby at all? You I mean, I think Worsby? every pastor's got his right. his devo- um, his commentaries. It's always like the be this or be be e right, be this or right. be that. And right. There's just great commentaries. Every pastor that I know, he either has one or two of them or the whole set. They're kind of they're they're kind of iconic and they're classic and iconic. So, that's a good word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, we, you know, obviously, we spent the first hour talking about Rachel Held Evans and her die young Wearsby. It feels a lot more normal, right? 82 years old, and uh, it feels uh, kind of more like the wrapping up of a life well-lived. And uh, But still, it, it, even in that age, it still makes you cause you to reflect. Like, man, people, the stuff they're writing about him and the impact that Warren, that he had, Warren Rearsbaugh, had on generations of mm-hmm. pastors mm-hmm. is is fa- is phenomenal, and it's going to continue. That's right. right. Like, he passes, but his, his commentaries and his writings – will continue. So we want to cheer on and say, uh, well done, life well lived. Well, and speaking of writings, uh, he had an article about midlife crises. Yeah. And you, you had mentioned, so you just had a birthday. I did. So you're now at 23. Close. 20, is that right? Yeah. 42 years old. 42 as of Saturday. So you're maybe in a place where some of this is kind of hitting you. Yeah. I mean, he literally, I love I love the way it starts too. And he's, he said, when I was getting started in my profession, I used to wonder what happened to preachers when they got old. In those days, old meant somewhere in the 40s. Yes. I have since recalculated. <laughs> but like, so, you probably remember feeling like 40 percent right? I remember when my parents turned 40 and it You're was like, like oh, 40. Fogies. And then like when when like your grandparents turn 70 and you're like, oh, my gosh. And now like our parents are getting that age. Yeah. Like, oh, and so, you know, I'm 42. And Wearsby wrote this uh, article in 1982. But Christianity Today was reposting a bunch of his stuff this weekend. And so it was really interesting to look back on kind of the work he did do it in a different time. Right. Like it, he's not writing about Facebook and Twitter on here, but um it's interesting to look back at his words because you're right. Uh, yeah, I just turned 42 this weekend, and you asked me on our way in here. You were like, uh, you and I rode the elevator together, which, by the way, we ran into two more people who did not hold the elevator for us today. <laughs> that seems to be happening a lot these it's days. It's unbelievable. Should we fact, take it you, personally? You t- I wish people could have seen this. Him and I, <laughs> Ian and I are walking towards the elevator. We watched two people get on the elevator, and he turns to me and he goes, they're not going to hold it for us. <laughs> <laughs> and it started to close, and we just mockingly yelled like, "Hey, hey, hey I'm almost there!" Hold the, hold the door. <laughs> Shoop. And it was like, "Really, people?" And what did we do when we got in the elevator? We held. We held it for somebody to, still not coming. Not to pat ourselves on the back, Brian. No, there's a lot of things that we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back for. But I think elevator <laughs> elevator etiquette is turning into one of those that we can feel proud about. That's the new name of the show. Elevator <laughs> etiquette. It's going to be a certain segment every week. Oh gosh. But anyway, you asked me how my birthday went. You sent me a text on Saturday. Thank you very much for that. You're and, but your dad did not call me and sing. But no one's going to get that reference. Uh, it was. Uh, 
Uh, and I told you, it felt really normal. Right. Like you get to be older and it's just normal. I went to a, one of my, do- I went to a daughter's soccer game and two of my son, uh, two baseball games that my son played in on Saturday. And that was great. I loved it. It was fun. Uh, but birthdays, they just kind of start stacking up on each other. And so, yes, yep. I'm 42 and it's starting to feel somewhat middle ages, right? Like, mm. uh, and obviously the, how you feel about an age is just dependent on what age you are. I think it was Bill Cosby who famously said, uh, old is five years older than what you currently are. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and so I read this Weersma thing and, uh, I, I, I really resonated with it because he was saying you hit an age where there's all these younger, he's, ta- he's talking pastorally. So he starts to say, there's all these younger theologians, uh, who are trying to rethink everything hmm. and where he said, I couldn't keep up with it. Like I just, you know, but then he gets to the point of uh, saying, like, you know what? I came to find out that uh, one of the points he makes is as you get older, you start to realize uh, that. Uh, how am I going to put it a little bit here? He says uh, that that the key is not to do more. It's to do less and yeah. to do less well. And I read that. I was like, yes, like there's something to that. Totally. Like, like if, if you're uh, you begin to focus on the things that are most important. I just love how he ends the article. And this, again, he wrote this in 1982. Uh, he says, middle age with a question mark. It just, it is just another stage in a grand and glorious life that has been planned for us by a loving father. Could we want anything better? And my guess is, I don't know what, what state his health was in, but my guess is if he was in good mind last week before he died, he probably would have said the same thing. Yeah. Old age, it's just another stage in a grand and glorious life that has been planned for us by a loving father. Like, I just read that. I was like, yes, okay, I'm in my young to mid-40s now. Like, that's right. a new stage that's going to be awesome. And then the 50, or there are just new stages that that you say goodbye to some things that were part of your life, yeah. but there's all new opportunities. So I really appreciated this from him, and it was really timely in that he just passed this weekend. Well, yeah, and it, it feels like this is such an evidence of the uh, why his writings had such stay power. Yep. Like I was reading this thing, and like, how was this written 30 years ago? So true. Like, there's so much of it that I was like, this could have been written last week. Like he said, so the paragraph that I love, he said, regrets, just a few, but nothing major. God has ruled and overruled. I have no room for complaint. I'm not running around quite as much, not because there are no opportunities, but because I have rearranged my priorities. Mm. William Culbertson, the late president of Moody Bible Institute, once said to me, we do more by doing less. Mm. He was right. I'm no longer infatuated with the latest church growth scheme or intimidated when I fail to attend the latest seminar. Instead of reading the books of the hour, I am concentrating on the books of the ages and learning a lot more. Yeah. Oh, man. I can I can most certainly, and I'm not knocking either end of the spectrum. Yep. I think the books of the hour and the books of the ages are important, uh, but the running around piece is certainly, that can be a kryptonite for me yeah. of just all, uh, always trying to, somebody was just talking to me uh, a couple of weeks ago about how, how I need more like fiction in my life. Uh, I haven't read a novel. We were talking about that, that last week. I, even, think. <laughs> but I had a conversation later, okay. in, that, later in the week and... Uh, just realizing the reason that I don't often make time for fiction is because I'm like, I got to either yeah. theology or leadership or church growth and all those things are good. Yeah. But so often the thing behind the thing is, oh, you don't let your brain relax, Ian. Like mm. there's so much wisdom in somebody who's you know been on the planet eight decades looking back on his life saying, hey, here's some stuff that I've learned. And I think 
okay, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to wait until someone passes yep. to glean wisdom. These people are, are in our lives all the time. When was the last time you picked up a phone or you set aside time for coffee? Like learn from the people who have gone before us because I think there's so, so much wisdom there. And it is like when you're younger and there's nothing wrong with rethinking things and totally. people who have new voices, like all of that's great. But it is when you're younger, uh, everything, especially younger in the ministry, everything's about what's new and how do we re. How do totally. we rethink this and rethink <laughs> right. that? And things need rethinking and reforming. Uh, but as I get older and I've been a pastor for a longer time, I do find myself going like, okay, what is, what are the writings of like maybe a generation ago and what worked mm-hmm. back then? And what, and, and I think the, the, the right answer is in the middle. It is in the balance. And then uh, it is also, we talked about this with retirement last, last month, last week that oftentimes you hit certain stages of life where you're just like, nope, I'm going to shut it down. Yeah. In reality, every stage of life is a new opportunity. It's a new, uh, you know, your, your circumstances are different, and it's a new opportunity to continue living out the calling and the mission of God in our lives. And I, my guess is where's to live that right up until he was able to at That's the end. That's right. That's a good word, man. Well, coming up next, our uh, recurring segment now, Media Mondays with Dallas Jenkins, the director of The Chosen. You can learn more at thechosen.tv, but he's going to join us in studio. We're going to talk about some media in the world and kind of glean some wisdom from his perspective. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And uh, a segment now, I think this is our third iteration of Media Mondays. I'm still holding out for like your own specific bumper music. If you had to pick your bumper music right now, what, what would it be, Dallas Jenkins? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Puts you on the spot. If it could be anything in the world. Sandy Patty and Lana Harris <laughs> singing yes. More Than Wonderful. Okay, can I just Song say something, my youth. though? We actually had her at the Yellow Box last year, and uh, she was fantastic. Oh, I adore Sandy Patty. Unbelievable. I met her, I met her for the first time a couple months ago at a TV interview we were both on awesome. at the same time, and I it was like a childhood hero. Oh, yeah. Because it's like what my parents listened to. So, I never so really I, listened so to her. I grew up on like very conservative right. music, very like Gaithers. And, yep. Yeah, same like, here. Amy Grant was yeah. considered too too much because <laughs> she edgy. wore leather pants. And she, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so Moody Radio was my like gr- my upbringing. And, right. and uh, Gaithers and Sandy Patty, Larnell Harris, Steve Green. Oh, my mom oh, got mad man. at us when we made fun of Steve Green. It was no like, kidding. Yes. Yeah, I know. We weren't allowed to. Did I ever tell you the story? I might be sharing too much marital information about my wife here, but (laughs) when she was in fourth grade, I think fifth grade, the first ever concert she went to was Sandy Patty with her mom. Wow. And uh, in the middle of the Sandy Patty uh, concert, she turned to her mom and said, Mom, is this what heaven's going to be like? Isn't that sweet? And the answer your is mom yes. said, absolutely. Yes. I'm winning. There will be no, <laughs> stands the test of time. There we will be a... no Petra. There will be no. <laughs> to hell with the devil. Devil's music, yes. We no were Petra. a Keith Green household. Keith Green and Fernando Ortega. That was nice. like, oh, man. My parents were in love with them. And I'm okay with that, actually. Yeah. I've gone back to listen to Keith Green. He's, he's stood the test of time, in yeah, my opinion. Sure. Yep. All right, so Dallas Jenkins is uh, our very special guest for this reoccurring Reoccurring? Recurring. Recurring. Recurring is better. Media Mondays. He's the director of The Chosen. You can learn more at thechosen.tv. You can actually watch it. You can watch it, not, not learn, just more, learn more. 
And I got in trouble last week for saying you can learn more. See, that's no, true. Yeah, Brian that. wants to make sure everyone knows. I know it's not just me. <laughs> the, first episode, the first episode is free. Yes, you right? can watch. But yeah, and then yeah. you can get all four episodes of the chosen, the first ever multi-season show about Christ. And what is the reaction, Ben? Just before we dive in any further, like I, I imagine you're still getting feedback, you're still getting letters, you're still getting reviews. Like, what's the response been in general from where you sit? No, yeah, it's still been incredible. Uh, the people who've seen the first four episodes, we're doing something really new. Um, there's been movies about Jesus. There's been miniseries, but there's never actually been a multi-season yeah. binge-watchable show. Yeah. And so, you know, you hear all the co- talk about Game of Thrones and people having watch parties and binge-watching shows like that. And uh, now we've got a show to do that with uh, about Jesus and the disciples. I love it, man. Well, I just personally, and this is just anecdotal, I, I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I, oh, it, cool. has been, it has been so, even just as a preacher, as a communicator, mm-hmm. it is something that we're often doing in preaching is, hey, can you just imagine what it was like at this scene or right. as this is unfolding and to see you and your team doing some of that yeah. in a format like film right. is is so engaging for me. Like I found myself, I don't know if this is too nerdy to admit, I've been like taking notes, like, oh, I might utilize that <laughs> perspective that. or that yeah. conversation. Good. We've had a lot of people say that when they went to church that weekend after watching the show, that 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 their experience listening to you know the, yeah. the sermons about the gospels or their experience reading the gospels was massively enhanced. I love that by just getting into some of the minutia and details that we do in the show. So it's been fun. It's been really cool. That's fantastic. Well, yep. one of the things that we want to do with bringing you in every Monday is uh, to engage with the media in the world. And the word media obviously is massively broad. That encapsulates a lot of different mediums. Right. But um, because I feel like you're a lover of media, but you also have a different perspective than Brian and I do. Sometimes Brian and I, we, we will have a whole segment. We're like, oh, I agree. Oh, I totally agree. <laughs> all right. All right. See you next segment. Like, I think you, you provide a unique uh, perspective and all of that. So we're going to just kind of bring some stories or ideas or topics and uh, and pick your brain a little bit. And the first one is a doozy, if you're ready. Here, here's the headline from USA Today. Uh, Trump attacks social media sites after James Woods, Alex Jones, and other extremist uh, conservatives are banned. And then it like, goes on to quote a bunch of, I don't know if you knew this, President yeah. Trump, has a, uh, Trump has a Twitter account. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, you're aware of that or we've not. heard is that okay I, i'm yeah i've paid attention a little bit to what's been going so there's a lot, of, a few things. a lot of all caps a lot of exclamation marks um but but in general though the conversation is pretty interesting to me though because um he's pretty outspoken about you know what he's for and what he's against and um there have been some unique algorithm findings about who is and isn't getting press and even like with the movie unplanned and their Twitter account getting right. taken down without any warning. And how, how I'd love to know how, how do you read stories like this? How do you read tweets like that? Like what is your take when you see stuff like this yeah. and how, how do you respond? So it, there's a lot of things that become noise and a lot of things that become exaggerated. And so we yeah. want to try to get rid of that stuff. So yes, right. the fact that the notion that uh, Mark Zuckerberg who owns and you know created Facebook um, is actively trying to uh, you know because he's a liberal which he is uh, yeah. that's not that's that's a fact the guys who own Twitter the guys who own Facebook are are liberals uh, that's not arguable um, the notion that they have a conspiracy against conservatives uh, is exaggerated mm-hmm. um, and so it's easy for us to kind of I think we Christians especially like to sometimes embrace this us against the world philosophy. Mm-hmm. The world's attacking us. The world's persecuting us. And some of it is true. Some mm-hmm. of, I mean, uh, 
I think there is. I, I think we Americans tend to use the term persecuted a little too loosely. Yeah, uh, when, if you've been to other countries or you know about what true persecution looks like, you wouldn't use it quite so loosely. However, so to, to stick to just the facts, it is true. Uh, I've seen it. I'm, I'm, my partners on The Chosen, for example, are some of the top media, social media experts uh, mm. in the country. And it is absolutely true that in the algorithms, there are things that um, get flagged. Mm. And that tend to be the things that get flagged tend to fall on the conservative Christian side of things more mm. often than not. Um, even when you look at some of the keywords that do get flagged, one of the uh, this is a insider little insider account is that um, one of the terms is values. No kidding. So that word gets flagged and it causes them to look because oftentimes the things that users have flagged the most. Uh, like people who tend to be on the left side of the spectrum work harder to flag things that come from the right. Oh, fascinating. So it uh, tends to be true that conservative Christians aren't quite as aggressive in looking for other posts and flagging them and reporting them and saying that's offensive to me. Uh, part of it's because I think in a negative way, they I think we Christians tend to sometimes not uh, engage out in the world mm -hmm. as much. Right, so we're right. not looking as much for things that might upset us. Yeah. Uh, that used to not be the case. I think things have switched <laughs> a little bit to where now mm. the left is a little bit more aggressive in that. Mm. So Facebook has this algorithm and Twitter have, have these algorithms where when people start flagging things, they start noticing, well, what's getting flagged the most and pro-life issues, for example, are very, you know, very intense, very uh, inflammatory. Um, when someone says, um, you know, like Alex Jones, for example, is someone who many of the listeners may not even know who he is, but he's got this site called InfoWars, which mm -hmm. is a conspiracy mm -hmm. theorist site. Right. And he's a little crazy for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when he posts things like uh, there's an attack on our values mm. and and uh, there's an attack on Christian values and then he'll start doing these conspiracy theories, Facebook has decided that that's dangerous and that mm. inflames things and users keep flagging it. So I'm giving a very long, complicated answer to the question. But the fact is, yes, it is true that conservative Christian posts get flagged more often mm. and fall into the negative algorithm category more mm. often than other posts do, which is why there are certain sites that get taken down. Yeah. Uh, and you don't typically see left sites get taken down. Often. Interesting. That's so fascinating. Um, or get flagged. We, we've had ourselves, um, you know, with the chosen and other things, we've had a few posts that have gotten flagged or gotten taken down for a day. And then we give a report and, and you appeal it. And then by the time that they approve it, it's you've lost some momentum. So that yeah. happens for sure. Um, but at the other end of the day, I also believe that in a free market society, Facebook and Twitter have the right to kind of do what they want. Unfortunately, yeah, right. it's not a government, it's right. not a public yep. company. Um, a mean meaning a government-run, taxpayer-funded fun company. So, I think it's it's ripe for us to have culture wars with this mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah. I think for the most part, we Christians could stand to maybe back off a little bit and just kind of embrace what Christ promised us, which was that we would have difficulties. Yeah, in yeah. I guess I didn't really ever thought about. I, I'm so naive when it comes to these things. Like, well, yeah, you post, and that's all it is. And right. how do we feel? Uh, help me wrestle with this. How do we even feel that they flag things and that they keep certain things off? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's not a great thing in the sense that, yeah, it would be nicer if my posts, you know, or your posts or whatever didn't get flagged. But at right. the end of the day, um, you know, again, I think sometimes, uh, as James says, we consider our trials. Yes. We count it all joy. We, 
I don't think we should quite be looking for controversy around every corner. Sometimes we should just go, you know what? Maybe social media isn't always the place where I should fight every battle. Maybe yes. I should be loving my neighbor. What a novel idea. There's a good word. There's a good word. <laughs> that, that voice you've been hearing is Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen. You can both learn more and watch the first four episodes at thechosen.tv. He's going to stick around for one more segment. We're going to talk about Ted Bundy and yes. some of our appetite for true crime drama. That's coming up next on Media Mondays here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And we have, as we do every Monday now, from here to eternity, <laughs> until we are brought reunited back with Sandy Patty, we have in the studio <laughs> Dallas Jenkins of The Chosen, the director of The Chosen. You can learn more or watch the first four episodes at thechosen.tv. But we're calling this segment, these two segments, Media Mondays, where we're just kind of taking a deeper dive into stuff that's happening in the world. And if you have stuff that you'd like for us to talk about, you can text it to us, 68683, and then CG in the message body, and then a movie or something that happened in the news, anything media-related, which is such a huge umbrella. And uh, you're such a good sport, man. I appreciate even the the last segment. I didn't know that you knew all of that. Like, just your insight into social media, I'm, like, taking notes. Like that, That, to me, is what makes your mind so fascinating to me. So we're going to take a hard right turn as yes. the director so speaking of Jesus, of, right? Of, uh, speaking yeah. of fascination. Interesting minds. Let's talk about Ted Bundy. Let's go to Ted Bundy. We're covering Alex Jones, Donald Trump, and, and Ted, Ted Bundy. Bundy. Come back next Monday. Classic yeah. trifecta. And I think you just killed off Sandy Patty. You're like, when we're reunited with Sandy Patty someday. I didn't kill her off, Brian. No need to be morbid. Well, that's how I took it. Well, that's that's <laughs> on you, Brian. That's, that's your that. <laughs> yeah. truth. All right, so... Uh, my wife and I were actually talking about this because there's. it seems like there's a couple of Ted Bundy films. There's uh, one on Netflix. There's two on Netflix. There's a, a major motion picture. And when all of these trailers were, were dropping, um, the, the response was so fascinating to me. And Brian was just sort of alluding to one of them offline. He was saying, it seems weird that Zac Efron would play Ted Bundy. And I asked him why. And he said, because he's so good looking. And that's part of the weirdness <laughs> with Ted Bundy is he was like really a good looking guy. But what kind of has been weird for me is to see how like infatuated we are with a character this dark and i yeah. i'm wondering what what is your take on like culture's uh insatiable appetite for some of these kind of like darker the true crime dramas. Yeah. has become yeah. a huge thing right uh, over the last five years it's exploded in all aspects of media the, the most successful podcast of all time was serial Yes, uh, from right. a few years ago, right. which I listened to, it was it was incredible. It's fantastic. It was one of the great pieces of art of the decade um, about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, about uh, uh, an un- unsolved, somewhat unsolved or questionable murder right. case, and uh, and then Netflix was huge a couple of years ago with Making a Murderer, uh-huh. which was also a great documentary. Um, there's been a few of these over the last five years, and then my wife and I actually just started watching last week the Ted Bundy. Oh, you did! Uh, not even knowing oh. we were going to discuss it on this uh, on the on the program. Right on. Um, the 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 Ted Bundy tapes. Um, what is our fascination with true crime? I feel like um, it's an outlet in many ways. Hmm. Uh, so most of us uh, aren't have don't have any inclination to hmm. to be serial killers whatsoever. Uh, at least I'm not. I don't do. <laughs> I have a confession. Okay, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm so, solidly with you on that. <laughs> but, I feel like there's something that's really intriguing about things that um, 
that are I don't, I don't know if the right word is exciting, mm. but it's interesting. It's exciting. It's a who done it. It's a mystery. It's right. a, and not not just who did the murder, but once we know who did the murders, what went what was behind it because it's it's someone who's so different. And and you start to think, could I have met someone like that? Yep. Oh, My wife, actually, we were watching a 2020 um, several years ago about this uh, serial killer guy who was really screwed up. And the whole episode, my wife kept thinking, man, he got like, that guy looks so familiar. What? And then no she, really, she remembered that a year before uh, she had sat next to him on an airplane. No. And no way. had talked to him for a while and that. She found something kind of interesting about it and kind of weird. And she, this is a true story. So the point being is wow. we're intrigued by the notion of a normal person. You mentioned yep. Ted Bundy, decent looking guy, seems right. like a normal guy. The notion of a normal person um, potentially having this dark side um, is always been intriguing to us, Christian or non-Christian. Yeah. Is there someone in our neighborhood? Mm. I think I think we uh, humans tend to embrace fear. Um, I think if you see on Facebook, there's lots of people who will post things about your children are never safe. Yeah, right, right. Um, All caps. Even yeah. though we live in the safest time in the history of the yeah, world. Right. Yeah. Um, there's fewer kidnappings. There's fewer. Uh, there's less crime than ever before in the history of the world. Mm. And yet we are more scared than we mm-hmm. were. And it's oftentimes because of media and because of shows like this. And I think we humans tend to like fear. Mm. Horror films are sometimes fun to watch. I yeah. think it's, it's titillating. Um, and so there is a group of people, uh, including myself to some extent, who really enjoy watching and listening to true crime mm-hmm. stories because it it's exciting in a way that feels distant. Right. I would never oh, do that. So it's almost, and this may be an inflammatory word to use, but it's it's like safe pornography, mm. meaning, you know, true pornography, sexual pornography is not safe. There's nothing about it that's, yep. that, that because, because it, by the, even the act of, Engaging in it is sinful and right. is b- appealing to your lustful urges. Whereas uh, true crime, I'm not. When I watch it, I'm not having any urge to kill anybody right. yeah. on right. any conceivable level. Right. But it's still exciting. Mm. It's exciting to watch. Now, is that wrong? Mm. Does that make it wrong? That's where the debate comes in. Mm. Are you enjoying it too much? Are you watching it and being intrigued? And is it is it appealing? Is it titillating to you? Right. Does it? That's where you have to. You have to be careful. That's yeah. interesting. And so it got me thinking, too, about the debate always comes out when there's a school shooting, right? Like that we spend more time talking about the shooter and his background than the victims or even a Ted Bundy thing. Um, I'm interested in your take. And you touched on it. But as somebody who makes movies and thinks through these things, do you think there's a danger Whereas you might not feel that way? Is there a subset of people where this could push them over the edge uh, or uh, is is that not the real worry here? Yeah, I don't think that there are people out there who are uh, not sure if they should murder people or not. Mm-hmm. And then when they see and a movie's going to put them a over. True yeah. crime, right. dinner, they go, you know what? I haven't thought of it that way. I guess yeah. I should go do that. And that's what I wanted to touch on real quick is one of the things that I think are good about true crime movies and documentaries is that. And I think it's also one of the reasons why they appeal to us is that they are there is a strong line between good and evil. Huh. And I think so often we, uh, society blurs the lines. Mm. Um, they're always trying to justify things, trying to blur the lines between, gosh, even as simple as the definition of a man and a woman. Yeah. You know, that those lines are being, being blurred. And I think there is a part of this that goes, gosh, there's something, re- there's something refreshing sometimes about action films and horror films, which is why those are the two uh, films that are still 
two genres that are still successful in movie theaters, hmm. uh, even mm. though others aren't anymore, is because people love the notion of black and white, right and wrong, good and evil. Interesting. Even in horror films, it's obvious what's evil. It's obvious what's good. Good yeah. tends to triumph over evil. Uh, action films, the good guys win. The good guys mm. defeat evil. Mm. And in true crime, it is an exploration of evil without trying to justify it. Right. Like no one ever watches a true crime documentary and goes, you know what? I never thought of it that way. I guess, I guess killing 20 people does have its merits. Mm, right. <laughs> right. Know? So again, I do think again, on one side, there's the, there's the, does it, does it appeal to our basis, yeah. basic, basest instincts? And that can be dangerous. But on the other side, there's something refreshing sometimes. I'm going, gosh, it's nice to finally watch something where good is easily defined and yeah. evil is easy defined and we know who the bad guy is and we're just trying to uh, or we're trying to find out who the bad guy is because we want to see justice done. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And that can be a good thing. Yeah. So, okay, so this idea of it being black and white, especially if, if entertainment is to some degree escapism, right? Is that, hey, my life is complicated. Right. It's nice to know that at the end of this, the good guys win or that it's, you know, these clearly distinctive lines. I'm actually really curious hearing you. This is going to be a strange transition from Ted Bundy to The Chosen, but sure. it's a story that I imagine the vast majority of people watching know who the bad guy is, know who the hero is, and you've made it an intentional shift to get into the stories of the people around him that we often don't know much about. What is it like to tell a story, particularly about Jesus, who, as as you've mentioned before, is like the ultimate not relatable figure? Right. Like, hey, have you, you know what it's like to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, and you're like, no, I have no, I have no clue. Yeah. Like, is is it that same kind of black and white principle though? Be- because we know where this is heading, there's like a, mm. a peace and an ease to engage with it fully. Yeah. So it allows us the because the chosen is about. Uh, the, as much about the followers of Christ as it is about Jesus. Hmm. And we get to know them better. We get to know their motivations better. We get to see their struggles before they find Jesus, all of that stuff. Um, I think because there's been so many movies and miniseries about Jesus already, um, there's nothing new that can really be said from a movie perspective about mm. Jesus. Yep. And like we mentioned, you can't really get into the backstory of Jesus too much and understand it as well. Hmm. Whereas what these true crime documentaries are about is trying to understand people. Right. The Chosen is trying to understand some of the disciples and the followers of Christ and that's what I think has drawn people to it in many ways is like, yeah, I, I've always wondered what Simon must have Absolutely. been like in his marriage or wonder what, how desperate he must have been when Jesus came in and, you know, wow. what, when he was up all night trying to fish, for example, yeah. and Jesus came along. Uh, when we introduced to Mary Magdalene in the Gospels, it says she was possessed by seven demons. Right. But we don't talk about or know much about what that was to been like. No. So exploring that can be really fascinating. That mm. is so fascinating. You heard it here first, by the way, the connection between Ted Bundy and uh, a series about Jesus and the life of his followers. Yeah, That's... Not going to put that on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to make the final cut? Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Ted Bundy of Jesus films. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you. Okay. Well, this has been Media Mondays with Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen. You can learn more and watch the first four episodes at thechosen.tv. And uh, hopefully this keeps going well. Dallas will keep You're joining us it. for every Monday to take a deep dive. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We are open to suggestions and... Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts. Well, this has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, it's the end of the show. And like we always do at the end of the show... We dive into some interweb insanities, and I have to give the disclaimer because there's Mm -hmm. always new people joining us that I'm sure 
if I didn't give this disclaimer, they'd think, what is wrong with these people? Yes. These are stories that our executive producer, Keith Conrad, found. We have not seen them, so they're face down on the desk right now. We're going to flip them over sight unseen. Uh, if we giggle or gasp in horror, those reactions are real because we have not seen them <laughs> and we don't know what the sound effects are either. So we just jump right in. And uh, Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Our fear is so high in these. Michigan. No. Michigan oh. police chase ends after sus- suspect stops for gas. Oh. A Michigan man was arrested this week after leading police on a chase that ended after he stopped with gas. Stop with gas. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped uh, with gas. For gas. <laughs> Well, the we're prepositions such, matter. We're such children. The traffic stop was due to the vehicle operating without headlights after dark and only the four-way flashers turned on. The vehicle did not stop. It continued north with speeds around 50 miles per hour. After approximately 16 miles with speeds consistently around 50, the vehicle entered the parking lot of the gas station. The driver pulled along the gas pumps, exited the vehicle, and prepared the fuel. The male driver, driver and the lone occupant, age 43, was non-compliant with the deputies and arrested after a taser was deployed. We're just dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> Can I just say, I don't, uh, 50 is not that fast, nope, right? Nope. Not, for a chase, that seems uh, unexciting. All right, Florida. <laughs> Thank the Lord we got Florida. Man accused of ordering teens to leave community pool, firing gun at ground nope. near them. Oh, Bad my. Idea. Okay. Uh, an Ormond Beach man is accused of ordering three teenagers out of a community pool uh, and firing a gun at them to make a point. Authorities said Richard Marcel, 66, confronted a group of teens at a community pool in the village subdivision. The pool is for residents, and authorities said one of the teens who lives in the community had two friends with him as guests at the time of the incident. Police said the teens were not aware Marcel had a gun in his left hand. imagine how terrifying that would be like you're having a leisurely swim and uh somebody starts yelling at you and then you hear gunshots yeah that would be no terrifying. good texas taco bell summer apparel line did we know they had an apparel line i did not taco know bell summer apparel line includes bikinis inspired by sauce packets <laughs> this summer there's nothing hotter than hot sauce oh boy to celebrate the warm weather taco bell is launching a new line of summer merchandise the lineup includes items like bikinis pool floats and towels with designs inspired by the restaurant's famous hot sauce packets. There are also beach umbrellas and hats, among other items. The entire summer collection is currently available at the brand's online store with swimming trunks and sauce packet bikinis going for $60 a piece and towels for $25 each. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Okay, so um, not to poo-poo this idea, I don't feel like they've nailed food yet. I don't know that we should be <laughs> jumping to apparel, right? Like, you guys really need to work on your main product line before you jump to swimwear. But, and again, what do I know? All right, uh, New York couple discovers pantless burglar prowling around home while away on vacation. This is not, why do I always get these this ones? This is funny. Yes. Uh, family from Queens was on vacation when they caught an intruder breaking into their home without pants and with a sheet over his head. <laughs> uh, Marie and Andy Katz, I can't say that last name, were in Florida last week. There's Florida again when they checked the live feed from their Nest cameras back home uh. in Bayside. Marie thought something was weird when she realized the camera in their living room was obstructed. 
So they checked the history, and what they saw horrified them. A man with a sheet over his head, a mask on his face, and wearing no pants prowling around their home before using the sheet to disable the camera. And then, from that point on, we don't know where he went inside the house. It was almost like a scene from The Ring. When you're approaching out of the water, it was really surreal to me and unreal. The couple is still unsure how the burglar got in, but their best guess is that he came in through a door in the fence that was unlocked at the time. For God's sake, put some clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't get the pantsless thing, man. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, yeah. How was New York while you were there, by the way? Uh, It was (laughs) uncomfortable. Florida. Police say suspect tried to use Lyft as a getaway car. (laughs) That's so good. Need a ride? A suspect running from police ordered one on the Lyft app. Then the driver helped the police nab him. But that's only one of the details in what police describe as a wild and crazy trail of tricks. According to police, the fleeing felon floored and ran over a homeowner's sprinklers. When he got handcuffed, he gave officers a fake name. <laughs> the suspect had his girlfriend along for the ride the whole time. Some of the chase was captured by a police dash cam, uh, and he's now facing a long list of charges. Police say Torres was speeding when the officer tried to stop him. They say he put the metal, the pedal to the metal. The officer called for backup, and additional cruisers were sent in pursuit. When he became trapped in the cul-de-sac and jumped the curb onto the lawn, Police say he broke the man's uh, sprinklers. After that move, that made the cut tires, cars, uh, the car's tires. I, I have trouble talking. <laughs> the car's tires were deflated, and that is when he called Lyft. And the Lyft driver ended up calling the police and got him arrested. Aren't you going too fast? Oh, it's not the speed really so much. Uh, I just wish I hadn't drunk all that cough syrup this oh, morning, my- you know? Oh. Random. That poor Lyft driver, man, was not expecting his evening to go that way. It I'm was sure. not. Not at all. Well, never a dull moment here at The Common Good with Ian and Brian on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.